This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. For 16 years, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, sponsoring third-party research on a broad range of public management issues facing us today. For the next administration, the management of the federal workforce, including executives, will be a critical factor in the president's success. The president's political appointees will work with members of the Career Senior Executive Service, the SES, to direct the work and missions of agencies and departments. To accelerate the achievement of the president's priorities and reduce the risk of operational failures, such as the Affordable Health Care website rollout and Hurricane Katrina response, campaign transition teams and the next White House must make the management of executive talent a priority. The IBM Center for the Business of Government and the Partnership for Public Service are sponsoring a series of dialogues to inform the next administration about issues and actions that strengthen the long-term organizational capacity of our government, such as developing and managing executive talent. Today, Doug Brooke and Maureen Hartney, authors of Managing the Government's Executive Talent, join me to discuss their report for the IBM Center which offers recommendations based on a roundtable that focused on strengthening executive talent across the federal government. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Maureen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Doug, skilled leaders are a powerful determinant for organizational success. Why does executive talent matter for government, and why is fostering executive talent such a challenge in the public sector? Well, when you think about it today, even as we pay attention to the presidential campaigns, Presidents are all about policies, uh, the policies that they champion, the uh, policies that they want to put into action. And um, our contention is that policies are fine, but ideas are not enough, and that a president needs talented people to implement those ideas. So if that's true, then presidential transitions should focus early on recruiting and deploying talent to advance the president's policy and political agenda. And those leaders that they select, especially those who are presidentially appointed with Senate confirmation, hold such responsibility for formulation and execution of the president's policies that they really need to uh, draw a lot of serious attention early. If you think about it, new presidents often lack the appreciation for that direct link between policy success and the need for sound management and capable people who can implement their policies and uh, put their programs into action. 
And as a result, I think we can look at uh, just recent past and see that many, if not every presidential administration has experienced some kind of unexpected management failure. Some of these failures have created political firestorms. They set back the policy initiatives. They undermine public confidence. And so we think it's essential for the next president during the transition and as, as well as after taking office to recruit and place talented political and career executives with management experience in these critical management and operational positions throughout the government. But moreover, we, we think that it's important that these senior capable managers are organized into effective senior leadership teams in the departments and agencies. So a focus on management by the White House and by the executive branch agencies, we think is essential for the new administration to successfully implement its policy goals. It can reduce the risk of costly missteps, build public confidence, and um, make the government work. So how do those challenges differ, say, than the private sector? Well, I think there are similarities and differences. Uh, probably the primary difference is that the leadership in the uh, private sector doesn't turn over with the uh, regularity that leadership in government does. And even if top leaders, CEOs change, uh, often the people who succeed them have come up through the organization as well. So the changes aren't quite as abrupt. Um, on the other hand, the, the, um, the challenge is the same, and that is to have good, capable senior managers to carry out the, the, the mission of the organization, whether it's governmental or private sector corporation. Maureen, to set context, would you explain the composition of the federal workforce? What is the size of it, the workforce, and how do political appointees differ from career senior executives? Uh, well, we know that in 2013, there were 2.1 million people in the federal government. And in our report, we focus on the federal workforce that exists under the purview of the leadership of the executive branch. And that includes that vast majority of that 2.1 million people. So the huge responsibility that the presidential transition team and the White House Presidential Personnel Office have is that they have to fill some 4,000 political positions, including about 1,000 presidentially appointed and Senate-confirmed, so PAS jobs, and then about 625 non-career positions in the senior executive per, uh, service. So that is a lot of jobs and a lot of people that they have to search for. So those appointees that the Presidential Personnel Office and the transition team have to look for work with the approximately 7,000 members of the career SES and they direct and oversee those 2.1 million civilian executive branch employees. So you have all of these jobs, and within that presidential transition team, you're looking for the right talent to have that executive talent management. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the differences, political appointees are those leaders that the incoming administration can select, and they can fill those positions in the government that hold responsibility for formulating and executing those presidential policies. What is the Senior Executive Service, the SES, and how many political appointees, SESers, and non-SESers comprise the federal workforce today? So the career SES, there's actually about 7,200 members of them, and those are the leadership that stay within their agencies and positions regardless of administration change. So when we're talking about the presidential administration filling positions, 
Uh, it's not the career SES. Those are the people that stay within the agencies or within a functional area. And the presidential appointees will come in, and usually they change with every presidential appointment. Doug, part one of your report presents insights and options for effectively managing executive talent that stem from a roundtable discussion with senior, current, and former government leaders. Would you provide us with a brief overview of this roundtable? Yes, it was quite a day we spent together. I would not have missed it for anything. The roundtable participants were numbered about 50, and they were current and former political and career leaders, so former political appointees, former SES-level career leaders, uh, some additional folks from staffs of uh, congressional committees, We had some subject matter experts, uh, some representatives of good government organizations, and a few academics. Um, We were in a room together all day, and we were discussing five specific topics. These topics had been given to to us by a smaller group that had met before to try to focus our conversation. So the five topics that we looked at were these. First, managing the career political interface. How can the incoming political leaders um, uh, and the career SES work together and, and create teams? What kind of onboarding, training, other sorts of activities need to occur so that the relationship between the, the political new political appointee and the established career leader uh, is strong? Second, looking at strengthening the SES. What is it that needs to be done to make sure that the members of the SES have the capabilities that are needed in the senior positions and also are recognized for those capabilities? The third was aligning accountability and incentives. If we're going to worry about management, then we need to worry about performance. And um, uh, performance has a lot to do with providing incentives for performing well and being accountable for our performance. And those have to align. If the incentives and the accountability are not aligned, then you don't get the kind of performance that you need. Uh, The last two um, were, uh, first of all, supporting talent management innovation. What new ideas can we develop that, uh, uh, for instance, new models of hiring that we might uh, replicate and scale throughout the federal government? Are there hiring flexibilities that that could be implemented? Is one part of the government doing something well that we should be able to um, migrate over into other departments and agencies? And then finally, what are the enablers? What does it take to get these kinds of things done in government? What tools can the new administration use to meet these goals? What tools exist now and what additional authorities or responsibilities would they need? Doug, your report identifies five core issues related to effective talent management in the federal government. I'd like to explore each issue in some detail before we get into the framework and recommendations you both outline in your report. Would you elaborate on the importance of managing the career political interface? And what are some of the challenges faced in this area? And what has worked in the past? Well, it's not an easy question because the political appointee and the career executive come from different places. Uh, Political appointees are brought into the government, or at least into the executive branch, from the outside. And uh, their task is primarily to implement the president's policies and to try to help make the president's policies. Uh, 
Um, but seldom do political appointees if, have the kind of management experience that's required in the federal government. Uh, no matter what their backgrounds, few political appointees have ever managed a, uh, an organization as large as, and, and as complex as the ones that they find uh, when they arrive in government. By contrast, the career senior executive has worked in government for an entire career usually, knows how to lead the organization and knows the organization very well. And so what has to happen between the political appointee and the career executive is an artful merging of um, the policy leadership and good management. And so in our view, the most essential and challenging factor is uh, to create strong leadership teams that involve both career executives and uh, senior political uh, appointees. The importance of, of doing so cannot really be understated, I think. And it's important for, the, for both sides to understand the challenge that each uh, has in the organization so that they understand that they are not faced with the same problem. Political appointees, for instance, by definition, have limited tenures in their office. The average time in office for a political appointee is something uh, just over two years. Uh, in contrast, the career senior executives may work their entire careers in the same agency or within one functional area. Neither group possesses the broad policy and political and programmatic and organizational knowledge necessary to manage the agency, but together, the political and career federal executives can manage highly sensitive tasks that require great skill, experience, and, and judgment. So they need sophisticated management and negotiation skills, and they need to be able to establish a means of working together. So this is open to both of you, Maureen and, and, and Doug. Why is strengthening the SES so important for the success of the next administration? Sure. Well, the senior executive service represents that career senior management in government agencies. So they're the ones that hold that corporate knowledge in either that functional area or the agency. And so they're uniquely equipped to help solve tough agency problems that, of course, happen all the time in government. So when you think about the senior executive service, again, there are over 7,000 of them. And the a really key factor is that they've worked on an average of over 23 years for the federal government. So these people with all of that corporate knowledge should be empowered to help enable government successes. And we know that administrations have been thinking about strengthening the SDS for a number of years. Uh, the White House, the current administration White House, has launched an initiative to help strengthen that, and that's called the White House Advisory Group on SES Reform. And then President Obama also this past December issued an executive order on strengthening the SES. But ultimately, the goal of the group that he formed, the executive order, and then of course, part of our focus on strengthening the SES is to make the recruitment, hiring, and developing of the senior executive service a priority for the administration because they are so uniquely equipped to help solve problems, and they represent a large uh, faction of the leadership in every agency. Some kind of uh, uh, reform in the SES has been talked about for uh, quite some time now. Um, the 1974 Civil Service Reform Act um, created the SES with a pretty much of a romantic type of, uh, of vision. The idea was to create something that looked as, a, as an American-style version of the British Civil Service. And the idea here was to take the super grades, the old GS-16s to 18s, 
and put them in the senior executive service, which was envisioned at the time as to be this uh, group of super capable experts who would be highly mobile, uh, um, that could be moved from agency to agency, taking their management and leadership skills with them wherever they went. And as things turned out, um, that isn't what happened. Most SESs don't move uh, with that kind of mobility. And uh, there really are at least two types of members of the senior executive service now. There are those who are in senior management positions who are those broad-based organizational managers. And then there are many more who are in technical and specialized fields holding the SES rank, but really can't be expected to function in that um, uh, in that uh, British civil service model. So once we recognize that, people who are who care about this have been thinking about what best to do with the SES to make sure that there's a good, strong pipeline into the SES for uh, people with management skills. How can we develop those management skills as they move through their careers? And then how do we position them in the government, in the right organizations and agencies so that they can do their job? Why is it so important to create a government-wide executive management core? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Brooke and Maureen Hartney, authors of the IBM Center Report, Managing the Government's Executive Talent. What tools can the incoming administration use to shape teams, move people, and bring in new talent? And what resources are required? Sure. Um, So... Ultimately, you want to help recruit and nominate those political leaders and blocks by functional position. So in that, we're thinking about all the deputy secretaries or all the chief financial officers could be recruited and appointed together. And then you want to make sure that the Senate-confirmed directors of both the Office of Management and Budget and the Office of Personnel Management, as well as the Office of management and budget deputy director for management, have those all appointed as a block? Yeah, our thought there is that um, these common functions ought to be considered together instead of uh, uh, the appointments made ad hoc. So that, for instance, if you appoint all of the chief financial officers at the same time, um, they get to know each other. You start immediately building a a good uh, uh, network of financial managers. They would go to Senate confirmation, certainly not all together, but nearly at the at the same time, facing the same kinds of questions uh, from uh, the Senate panels that they have to face. 
And the administration then can manage these, in this case, CFOs, as a group uh, to make sure that they understand the, the priorities of the administration and that they can work together to, to advance those priorities. So we think bringing them in, as in, in blocks gives uh, the right prioritization to each of the functional areas where political appointees have to be put in place. And then one of the other things that you can do to shape teams and bring in new talent is what Doug was talking about earlier with aligning accountability and incentives. So in that, if you are able to do that, if you're able to align both of those things, it may raise morale and it may help you have a more cohesive team dynamic. So those incentives aren't going to be focused simply on improving pay for senior leaders, but rather on helping to care for and develop your leaders, both the PAS and the SES together. So the accountability and incentives piece is uh, key for managing these teams. I think we paid a lot of attention to the issue of onboarding of political appointees. And uh, the uh, roundtable thought that one of the things that needed to be done was uh, a proactive uh, program for onboarding uh, political appointees. And there are a number of ways that you can do this. You can have each agency can have its own political appointee orientation where career SES members uh, and the political appointees get to know each other and they get oriented to the um, mission and issues and operations of the agency uh, together. Small teams of career SESs could put together that kind of orientation. I recall when I went to the Department of Army as an assistant secretary that we were onboarded, we all five uh, assistant secretaries, were onboarded by a brigadier general who took us on a one-week tour of the Army, and we went to Army installations. We met people. We uh, got to know our counterparts in the in the Pentagon, and we built a strong uh, team of political appointees, senior executive uh, career civilians, and um, military officers just by spending a week together and hearing the same things in those briefings and in those meetings. And I think that was a, that's a strong model that could be exported elsewhere. Maureen, in the second half of your report, you offered the insights and options that arrived from the roundtable discussed in part one of your report, coupled with uh, additional research. Would you elaborate on the key premises underlying each of your recommendations? Sure. So these are some of the premises or the assumptions that we thought about once we are starting to develop our recommendations. So some of these uh, come into the why do we care sort of piece of this report. So the first one is that executive management talent is actually critical to achieving the goals of the next administration. And that's why they should care about developing the executive management talent. So we know that a recent many, or there are many recent examples of government failure in management that undermine good policy. So like Doug said before, even though you have good policy and good ideas, you need to be able to have the people to carry out those ideas. So if the new administration's policy objectives are to be met successfully, and if you want to avoid failures, then they must be accompanied by strong, capable management. And the second one, we'll get to the point in the report where we recommend the creation of an executive management core in which those political appointees and SES members with significant managerial duties are identified and managed. But an underlying premise to this and to the rest of the report is that the new administration must find the right managerial talent 
for that executive management core. So both the PAS and the SES have to have the right managerial talent and the expertise. And we know that political appointees come from various backgrounds and that they have different policy and political considerations when the new administration comes to appointing those appointees. And those uh, considerations are definitely legitimate. But for those appointees in those managerial positions, you want that additional qualification uh, to be required, and that is that management capability. The third key underlying premise or assumption that we made is that the accomplishment of the management and policy goals of the next administration requires that strong working relationship between the PAS and the SES. So we call this um, the political executive management core. So that's those top political appointees and the career executive management core. So those are the top level of SES members. We talked about before how political appointees have that limited tenure in office, and by contrast, career senior executives often work their entire career in one agency or for one functional area, but what that means is that neither group singularly possesses what they need to have the broad policy programmatic and all the organizational knowledge necessary to manage their agencies and to solve the complex problems that come up all the time. So those two groups have to forge positive working relationships. That was our three, or our third underlying premise. And then the fourth one is that the government's executive talent pool requires proactive talent management. So we need to have a new strategy. The new administration must come up with a management strategy and then implement it. And once it's implemented, you have to actively manage um, those new developments that you've implemented. So possibly those uh, top leadership teams that we could talk about those have to be actively managed by the new administration as well. So that's the fourth underlying premise. Maureen, why is the essential building block for an effective executive talent management strategy the creation of an enterprise-focused executive management team in the departments and agencies across the federal government? Sure. So those enterprise-focused executive management teams are also possibly called top management teams or top leadership teams, and we followed on the scholarship of what's called top management teams. Um, in a lot of academic circles. So those, what we're imagining are small teams at the head of agencies that consist of both political appointees and SES members, so career uh, senior executive service members, working together to further the agency mission as well as further the president's objectives and policies. Uh, So the creation of that government-wide enterprise-focused executive management core will bring together those career Um, and political leaders to create sort of shared expectations and objectives in the service of the president. So in joint executive management teams, those members should share ownership for the mission outcomes and then work across those departmental and functional boundaries to drive goal achievement. So that's what we're talking about when we say that we need to have uh, accountability and incentives aligned. And then those accountability incentives have to be sort of similar between the political and career executives. Because when focused on shared goals and shared problems and shared missions, we know that leadership teams capitalize on both the power and the potential of both the political and career senior leaders. And then this broader focus encourages people to accept shared responsibility for pursuing and achieving those administration organizational goals. So if you have people working together and you align their objectives, then they sort of have a lot more buy-in to what the agency's mission really is. 
What are some of the key challenges faced when implementing a government-wide executive management core? We will explore this question and so much more on our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors Returns. What are the characteristics of a well-prepared, successful presidential transition? How does the 0809 presidential transition represent a model to be followed by future incoming and outgoing administrations? What more can be done to enhance the presidential transition process? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Martha Joint Kumar, author of Before the Oath, How George W. Bush and Barack Obama Managed a Transfer of Power. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Brooke and Maureen Hartney, authors of the IBM Center Report, Managing the Government's Executive Talent. Doug, would you describe the purpose of the government-wide executive management core? What responsibilities and duties would this group perform, and why is it so important to create this group? The creation of an executive management core, what we're calling an executive management core, really is at the heart of all of our recommendations. And we view this executive management core as uh, being comprised of both uh, political and career leaders who hold senior management positions, uh, positions that have been identified as being senior management positions and that require an enterprise-wide perspective um, on their duties and who have a shared sense of purpose and common priorities. The idea here is that departments and agencies, along with consulting with OMB and uh, the Office of Personnel Management and, and the President's Management Council and whatever, would designate a subgroup of political and career executives as members of this government-wide executive management corps. Now, I don't think we're talking about giving them logo ties and scarves or mm-hmm. pins on their lapel, but the idea of creating an executive management corps is to acknowledge that there is this group of people who are um, especially uh, responsible for managing complex organizations and uh, challenging programs in the federal government. This subgroup, I think, would be recognized and as as being something that the administration, that the White House and uh, and its agencies would um, want to interface with and would want to manage. And so I would think that the new administration would convene the members of the executive management corps to share their management priorities and goals. You know, the president is a policy leader and, a, and, and the commander in chief, but he's, he or she is also the, civilian, the CEO of a civilian workforce. And the president needs to address uh, these folks at the start of the term. And uh, so I think it's important that the executive management corps uh, be identified uh, be brought together, that clear objectives be set, that this bringing together signals the importance that management brings to the achievement of the president's priorities and recognizing the potential contributions of, of this group. You know, uh, beginning in February of uh, 2018, the administration is required for the first time to submit a strategic management plan 
just as the president's budget is submitted to Congress in the first Monday in February. And it seems to me that that would be a perfect time for the administration to convene a meeting of this newly designated uh, executive management corps. As a follow-up, what are some of the challenges to establishing a government-wide executive management corps, and what actions should be taken to establish it? I think there are some key challenges in each step of actually implementing this idea, Um, but all of these challenges can definitely be overcome. One of the challenges, of course, when you're starting out is that you have to identify all the positions that can be categorized as that executive management level. So what are those positions that have significant managerial duties? And one way you could do that is to look in uh, the plum book. So all positions open to political appointees are going to be compiled into the policy and supporting positions known as the plum book. And in 2016, that's going to be published by the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. So the transition team could use that to identify um, some of the positions that can be categorized in the political executive management core roles. Another example of something that could be challenging is going to be recruiting and retaining people that might have the management experience that you really want for these positions. But these appointees could come from the private sector, the nonprofit sector, uh, state and local governments, and the active or retired career civilian and military ranks of the federal government. So you have a large pool of people that you can recruit and retain, and if you retool the way you do that, and you might have uh, the talent that you really want for your political appointees and your senior executive service. And then after creating the core and finding the people for it, of course, the executive management core is going to require active management. So you have to create targeted orientations like we talked about. And then, again, the, establish, uh, the establishment of performance agreements so you can really start to align what the president wants to do and then how each agency is going to go about doing it. Doug, the performance of department and agency executive management teams is another critical success factor for the implementation of the next administration's priorities. So what are joint executive management teams? What are the benefits of creating department and agency level joint teams? Well, when we talked about the executive management core, we were talking about a set of people who uh, are across the entire federal government as uh, having been identified as holding these senior management positions. But we also vision, envision that these teams exist in uh, the departments and agencies of the executive branch as well. And so our thought is that what we called the joint executive management teams uh, would be established in the individual departments and, and agencies where political and career executives could then you know, share ownership for mission outcomes, for the ability to work across departmental and functional boundaries, Uh, to try to achieve the goals of of the organization. So establishing this uh, government-wide core is only part of the the issue. We need to establish these teams in the uh, agencies as well. And we want them to have shared leadership. I think an important part of the concept of these teams is the idea that political and career uh, senior executives Uh, share leadership in the organization, which means broadly sharing power and influence uh, uh, rather than having it centralized in the hands of a single individual, whether it's the the, uh, political uh, head of the agency or um, a, a senior career deputy. So the need for these teams is driven by the realization that nobody, none of these senior leaders, 
has the time or the relevant information to make all the decisions in a complex, rapidly changing organization. So a couple of those demanding duties with short response times that are often required in government. And it becomes clear to us that leadership teams in the departments and agencies need to be established to share leadership across these organizations. As a follow-up, Maureen, what are some of the key challenges to establishing these joint teams and what actions should be taken to do this? So I think the creation of these teams is probably um, the most radical change that we suggest in the report. Um, So it follows findings that top management teams, like Doug said, can be far more effective than single leaders with that shared leadership concept. But that being said, they're definitely going to be a major challenge to create because I think we know that government is certainly resistant to change and so are people. And this could be a major sort of shakeup in how leadership is determined in agencies. So that's one challenge, certainly. Another challenge is that the teams have to be managed by the government, so you have to create the performance plans, but also you have to create those common elements tied to those mission outcomes that are going to be key with the whole team and not just one person or another person. So Maureen, what are the key elements uh, that comprise top management teams, TMTs, and what are the four types of complementary leadership identified for effective team management? Yeah, when we were doing research on leadership, we kept coming across the top management team concept, and research showed that the top management teams require or rely on complementarity, so how uh, how people complement other people in different ways. So the ability to do things uh, and teams to do things that individuals and non-complementary teams cannot. So you have one person working alone, that's less effective than this really effective team that you could create. And then if a team is not able to communicate or if they don't complement each other well, then they're not able to achieve their goals also. So we have uh, four types of complementary leadership, and they are identified for those effective management teams. So the first is task complementarity. So in that, you're dividing management responsibilities into these coherent blocks of tasks that can be used to respond to that increasing demands on leadership's time. So if you have people divided into functions or tasks, that might be a more effective way of dealing with the massive amount of work that people have to deal with uh, in government jobs. A second type of complementary leadership is expertise complementarity. So you have different people with different levels of expertise, and that might actually lead to formation of teams that are able to produce more effective results for you. So it's not just people that have, you know, above 25 years of experience, but you have different sets of backgrounds. And so that gives you a little bit more diversity. The third type of complementary leadership is cognitive complementarity. So How different individuals process information differently might help overcome individual leaders' uh, sort of inabilities to comprehend and then act on all aspects of a problem, a strategy, an issue, a decision. So the way different people sort of think outside the box or if they have different sizes of box or if somebody is thinking in a circle, you know, then you have different people approaching a problem different ways, and that might lead you to the best solution. And that's another um, possibility for a top management team. And then the final complementarity issue that we have is role complementarity. So you can have members of a top management team assume different leadership and social roles in the organization. So you could have somebody be a CEO or CFO, and then that could also be 
uh, a better way to manage a team as well. So you could have different roles and then you have different backgrounds and then you go forth and uh, a team is better able to approach a problem and then give you either more diverse solutions or perhaps a more effective solution to your problem. Doug, your report recommends the creation of a political executive management corps and a career executive management corps. What are the benefits of doing this? How can we identify, better identify qualified appointees? And how do these management corps kind of accelerate the career political collaboration that we want? Well, I think we confess to some organizational complexity here in our recommendations. But having established the idea of a, an executive management corps across the government and making all of these arguments for bringing the career and the uh, political appointees together into shared management teams, we also recognize that they're different, that political appointees and uh, members of the senior executive service are, are different in their careers and then different and different in how they're managed and they're different in what their expectations are. And so we view the executive management core as having two elements. One is the political executive management core, and the second is the career executive management core. The political executive management core would be those political appointees whose positions require significant management experience and uh, that need to be filled with highly qualified candidates. And uh, those we would, we would put into or designate as members of this political executive management core. And their job would be to take primary responsibility for driving the management aspects of the uh, policy priorities of, of the administration. And the political executive management corps would largely be uh, directed by the Office of Presidential Personnel and probably OMB uh, because there's a policy element to what they have to do. On the other hand, we also view a career executive management corps as being comprised of those career uh, senior executives uh, who are designated as being members of that overall executive management core. The career executive management core, of course, then would be overseen more by uh, not only the OMB, but also OPM, and, um, and their careers could be managed there as most careers are managed through OPM and the human resources uh, organizations in the departments and, and agencies. So even though we see these two working, these two sides working together in the overall executive management core, we recognize their differences. We recognize they have different career paths inside the government and that they have um, different, different organizations that have to be responsible for, uh, for managing them. The overall theme, however, is that both have to be managed and both have to be filled with highly qualified people. And they both have to be attuned to, um, to uh, implementing the, the, president's, the president's policies. But I think the political appointee, we have to say, has to have a greater sensitivity uh, toward those policies and to participate in making them as well as carrying them out. But on the other hand, I'm struck over time as how many uh, political appoint, appointee positions have become management positions where the political appointee is responsible for 
financial management or acquisition or human resource management um, where we where there is um, where the management aspect is something different from um, uh, from just making policy. And uh, and so I think there's considerable overlap here, and that's part of the concept of shared uh, responsibility, I think, is for the career and the political appointee to sort out where their strengths are and to play to those strengths to drive the organization's goals. So as a follow-up, and, and you kind of alluded to some of this, but what are some of the key challenges to establishing these management cores, and what actions can be taken to do it? Well, I'll start on that, and then okay. um, Maureen can um, can join in. I think the the biggest challenge is surrounds uh, time and attention. And uh, having observed a number of presidential transitions from both the inside and the outside, there's a lot going on, and not always uh, is management at the top of the list. So I think the biggest challenge is for the incoming administration to recognize that they need to uh, address this question uh, soon, uh, sooner rather than later. And then if they then decide to do that, um, we've provided, we think, a, um, a roadmap or a framework that they can use to move forward to manage the managers. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. The amount of time that you can put into thinking about management before the new administration takes office will help smooth out some of a lot of the wrinkles that could happen after the new administration takes office. So that's why we have sort of short-term goals and then medium-term and then long-term. But in reality, thinking about management and thinking about a way to manage the managers is so necessary, especially when you come to recruiting the right people for those positions. Because if a president can say, these are my objectives, and then, you know, please go out and achieve them, and if you have people actually able to do that, then that takes a lot of weight off of the top management, and they're able to go on and try to uh, create new ideas and go on from there. And so you have sort of a ripple effect, and it's a ripple effect of actually being effective and having government work. So if you start with the beginning of thinking about a way to manage the managers, then your administration starts off far more smoothly and with a lot fewer failures than you would otherwise. How can we promote the importance of federal executive talent management and management in general? We explore this question and so much more on our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors Returns. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. 
The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Brooke and Maureen Hartney, authors of the IBM Center Report, Managing the Government's Executive Talent. Maureen, some of the recommendations in this report need to be addressed immediately. Others can be addressed as the administration moves through its time in office. Could you give us a brief overview of short-term activities and long-term actions associated with implementing your recommendations and the talent management framework you identified? Sure, absolutely. So uh, we sort of break these down into our four recommendations. Uh, So I'll do the same, I think, with the uh, short-term and medium-term and longer-term. So for our first recommendation, that's that government-wide executive management course, so identifying the people that have significant management um, duties and what are those positions. So short-term in that is that you have to actually identify those positions, which we've talked about. The second recommendation that we have is to create those department and agency level joint management teams. So those are those top management teams comprised of both political and career leaders. Um, So the short-term recommendation there is that the White House has to create a clear expectation that joint executive management teams will be created and that they will be used in all departments and agencies, and that those teams will be comprised of both political and career leaders. So the short term there is to announce that this thing is happening and that this thing will go on um, no matter what. In terms of our next two recommendations, that's create the political executive management core and create the career executive management core. Again, you have to identify those roles that are going to be required to have significant management expertise for both of those. And then the the presidential personnel office for the political executive management core has to ensure that the Senate-confirmed political appointees actually have the necessary managerial experience. So now not only are you identifying the roles that you need these people, but now you're trying to recruit and retain the people that have management experience. So those are some of the short-term goals that the new administration can be thinking about. And then in the long term, you know, we talked about periodically convening the members of the executive management core. That's certainly one that goes into our first recommendation. When it comes to creating those joint executive management teams, a medium and longer term goal is to create performance plans that align incentives and um, uh, goals. And then another long term goal is that departments and agencies should actually design and hold joint activities during the orientation process or also during the year for both um, political appointees and career leaders so they can get together and start working out ways to actually work in teams together and How do you do that with people that have such a diverse set of backgrounds? And then finally, for medium and longer term goals for our third and fourth recommendation, so creating the political and senior executive management core, those two branches of the government-wide executive management core, again, you're going to have to actively manage it, but you're also going to have to create the targeted orientation that will help 
both of these management core actually go out and understand what they're supposed to do and help align that with the president's policy and policy objectives. Doug, what can be done to make the next administration recognize the importance of executive talent management and management in general? And any advice for how to get the topic on candidates' radar? Well, what can convince them that they need to pay attention to it is merely to look at recent history, where uh, the last two administrations have have had extreme amount of costly difficulty in implementing some of their major priorities. Uh, Think only of the rollout of the Affordable Care Act under the Obama administration and the difficulties with Hurricane Katrina and the George W. Bush administration. Both of those are management failures. And uh, so the administration, the incoming administration, whoever it is, um, should look at recent history and take whatever steps they can to um, to avoid putting themselves in a position of having management failure because they failed to pay attention to management. So we provided a framework for them to uh, to approach this management issues. But you know, it's 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 not a, going to be enough to just uh, uh, simply appoint members to the uh, management executive core and then walk away uh, and, and allow on-the-job training uh, to take place. Uh, this has, this uh, concept that we're presenting here requires continuous management, and it has to begin with a good orientation programs has to begin with a good baseline of understanding of the of the administration's policy and management uh, priorities and then at the cabinet and agency level those um, uh, cabinet department heads and agency heads will need to manage these uh, these teams with individual import, uh, performance agreements for instance uh, particularly for the political executive management core uh, performance accountability for the senior political executives got to include the uh, responsibility for management. Performance contracts could be uh, written and enforced to align organizational goals with the management, uh, with the objectives of management and their expectations for, for performance. This requires some attention. And uh, so we think that that's the key to success here is to recognize not only the immediate need to uh, recruit and appoint um, highly qualified management appointees, but also then to manage them effectively so that they're able to perform at their highest capability. Doug and Maureen, I'd like to know more about you both. Uh, Would you tell us about yourselves? Uh, what prompted your interest in this topic, and how did you conduct your research? Doug, maybe you could start. Well, we are both at the Terry Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. I'm a visiting professor of public policy, and Maureen is a second-year student in the Master of Public Policy program. Uh, I have a governmental background. I have political appointees as Assistant Secretary of the Navy and also of the Army for Financial Management. I was acting under Secretary of Defense for uh, Comptroller and CFO, and uh, for the uh, last uh, seven or eight months of the George H.W. administration, I was acting director of OPM. And once you've been at OPM, you uh, you get interested in these kinds of uh, uh, personnel management issues in the 
government, and so I've maintained that interest through my academic career. Yeah, and my uh, history is certainly not as uh, distinguished as Doug's, but before I came to the Sanford School of Public Policy, I was actually in the United States Air Force, so you, I definitely have a, a, an interest in government service, but also how to make government sort of more effective and efficient. And I understand that it's designed to be uh, slow and sort of lumbering, but it would be nice if it was slow and lumbering towards success, and instead you sort of have these periodic failures that Doug talked about earlier, uh, like the rollout of the Affordable Care Act and Hurricane Katrina. So I'm interested in how to make it a little bit better, but also one of my main interests is how to recruit and train talented young people to go into federal government and how do you motivate them to do that. Um, even in a public policy program, I'm noticing a trend where a lot of young and very talented, very energetic people are turning towards the private sector. So I'm, understand, I'm interested in understanding why that is, and then also sort of motivating them to go back into government service, because I really think that having energetic young people in government can help provide a diverse set of uh, solutions to complex problems and provide different ways to think about things and a, a new energy, I think, in government as well. So that's definitely one of my interests. So, Doug, what does the future hold in this area? Well, I hate to say that depends, but that depends. Um, and I think it depends on whether the new administration takes responsibility for managing the federal government and understands that good management is essential to carrying out its policy agendas. Some administrations have paid a lot of attention to management. Some administrations have paid very little attention to management. And um, so I think it depends on the administration's, uh, the incoming administration's willingness to accept this as a primary responsibility. And it also depends on our ability and the ability of others who are addressing this problem uh, to make our voices heard and to provide whatever resources we can to the transition teams and the incoming administration to help them think through these issues. Uh, they're going to be busy and they're not going to have a lot of thinking time. And I think that's the contribution that we can make to this process. Doug and Maureen, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join me. This is a very insightful conversation. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for having us on the show. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Brook and Maureen Hartney, authors of the IBM Center Report, Managing the Government's Executive Talent. You may order or download a free copy of this and any other IBM Center Report at businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
What are the characteristics of a well-prepared, successful presidential transition? How does the 08-09 presidential transition represent a model to be followed by future incoming and outgoing administrations? What more can be done to enhance the presidential transition process? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Martha Joint Kumar, author of Before the Oath, How George W. Bush and Barack Obama Managed a Transfer of Power. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.